You're listening to UCW Radio and your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? You know what I mean? Why did you a place like this? Money never sleeps, but I'll... You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine my head. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass balls, balls, balls. I'm falling, and I can't get up! All right, welcome to Money Never Sleeps. This is the show where we talk about anything and everything that makes the world go round. And we will have guests on the show ranging from finance to real estate, small business, tech, startups, and pretty much get their insight to what makes their industry tick. Of course, I'm going to give my views on certain topics that are on my mind. And to start things off, um, well, one thing that's on my mind is Twitter. Now, Twitter's Mr. Fix-It, Ali Rogani, he's gone. He exited stage left, and he's their COO. Now, normally, I'd say that in a growing company, especially in the tech industry, you you kind of get sometimes, you get a revolving door situation um, early on, possibly. You know, but Twitter is not an early on company, and losing their CEO, losing Rogani, is like Facebook losing Sandberg. Uh, I see it as a problem, you know, and I, I just don't uh, get it. I mean, internal fighting, things of that nature uh, could be part of the issue. I don't know. I'm not there. I don't work for them. Um, but I do think that they need to really get a handle on whatever they're doing there uh, because, look, I, I understand the trials and tribulations of a tech company more than most. I founded a social media company two years ago myself that is still working its way through the waters. But when me and my team actually put it together, when we put pencil to paper, we mapped out how our members would engage not only today but down the road. Because you got to look at things, you know, on a broader scale. You can't look at things narrowly. You know, Twitter, when it was originally developed, it was a simple platform, a simple SMS platform, that type of situation. Now, of course, it's on a much larger scale, you know, but I don't think they ever broke out of their original foundation. And uh, look, I think that they need to start doing that, so looking at doing that, you know, while Rogani leaving... You know, that is going to leave a lot of questions uh, out there as to why and the who, the what, the where, and what's going to happen. You know, look, I, I happen to like the simplicity of Twitter as a social media tool, but as a company, as a company that will generate Facebook dollars, I really can't see it. Especially now that uh, Mr. Fixit is out of the picture. Uh, there has been, you know, again, too much internal battles with the company from the onset, and it seems that it really hasn't stopped. Again, I'm not in the company, but, you know, for the CEO to walk out of the room, you know, there has to be an issue there. And there are a lot of rumors, a lot of things going around, and I don't, you know, dive into the rumor situation. All I know is that you have a company that has a lot of potential. They just need to harness it and figure out how they're going to do it. You know, Twitter, they, in my opinion, they have to be innovative. And shoot, I would even take my company and work some magic with them. Uh, but in the world of Twitter, they think they think just a little bit differently than Facebook or other tech companies that I've come across. Uh, I really hope 
that they figure it out because I happen to like the company. And I have a lot of respect for Jack Dorsey and how he put everything on the line with Twitter and, and with Square. And look, him at the helm of Twitter now that he's more seasoned and he's more polished, it would be extremely interesting because he would be the face he would be, you know, to Twitter what Zuckerberg is to Facebook. And they need that. They don't have that. They don't have someone to point to and say, hey, you know what? He's a CEO, and he founded the company, and this is what what they did. You know, you don't have that. You don't have anyone, you know, that's uh, at the forefront that is like that. And Jack Dorsey would be the guy, you know. But, look, it would be interesting, unlikely, interesting, though. But, hey, you never know. All right, anyway, with that said, uh, let's get to the high-end luxury real estate arena. I had the opportunity to speak with veteran luxury real estate broker Jonathan Slater from Boston. So uh, without further ado, let's get to that interview. All right, we're here with high-end luxury real estate pro Jonathan Slater. He's a Boston-based real estate firm, Castles Luxury. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Louis, thank you very much. Uh, well, it's, it's a pleasure having you on. And before we get into uh, anything, actually, I want to give our listeners a skinny on you. You hold an MBA from Harvard. You graduated from Stanford. You have a, you've been deeply involved in the Chinese asset management arena and that's just the tip, of the tip of the iceberg. But all of this has given you the ability to actually cater to some of the most sophisticated clientele out there. Now, did I get those highlights done properly? Well, that's right, Louie. Basically, I've been working with sophisticated clients my whole life, and uh, whether it's on Wall Street uh, after Harvard, um, focusing on the China asset management industry, focusing – you know, more recently on luxury real estate, it's all about uh, providing sophisticated solutions to sophisticated clients. Uh, China actually has yeah, a nexus here because the growth and explosion of opportunities with China has led, obviously, to an outgrowth of uh, Chinese activity in the real estate market and, frankly, helped fuel uh, the real estate uh, boom in the luxury side, certainly in Boston, and in other places, uh, particularly Boston, I think disproportionately to its size because of the uh, academic uh, strength and emphasis of uh, the schools here. Uh, we, we don't want to kill all my questions, Jonathan. <laughs> okay, well, I'll try. You know, but, but what I want you to do is... That's not everything in a nutshell. There's a lot more. Yeah. No, but you know something, the insight, and this is why you're on the show, because your unique background gives you a lot of insight that a lot of people don't have. And I think our listeners would definitely uh, find this uh, valuable. Now, what I want you to do, if you can, is tell us about the Boston luxury residential market now. You know, how is it going over there? Well, it, it's very strong, although if you picked up the Wall Street Journal, you probably get that sense nationally. But it's actually been strong. And I can sort of differentiate elements of that. But um, I think one of the best uh, dimensions of Boston and, and probably select other cities in the United States that are marquee cities 
uh, is that when the market crashed, it didn't crash to a very significant degree. Um, you know, areas that you heard of, obviously, Las Vegas, Arizona, even a great city like Miami, uh, had huge spikes during the peak, but, you know, enormous losses of value during the crash. So even in 2009, 2010, 2011, uh, activity was slower. Uh, prices were off, but not to a large degree because the real estate, Boston's a small town when it comes to the footprint of the city. Uh, one of the most attractive elements of Boston is, from a residential perspective, people can live in communities like Brookline, Newton, Weston, Wellesley, uh, that are minutes from Boston. If this was in New York or San Francisco or L.A., you'd basically have an hour commute to be in an area that had this kind of grandeur. But we have five, ten, twenty million dollar estates literally within minutes of Boston, let alone uh, a number of a very, very popular waterfront and in-town high-end areas mm -hmm. uh, within the city itself. And you've been saying the, the spike. Actually, it's it's more than a spike. It's, it's been climbing and, and on a consistent basis uh, as of late. Am I wrong about it's that? It's been climbing on a consistent basis. We I think we really started to see uh, multiple bids on properties of all types uh, come into the market probably 12 to 18 months ago, and the frequency mm -hmm. of that occurring and the size of and scale of that activity uh, picking up. I think another element that's very indicative and something people can look for uh, going forward is uh, builder activity, because builders are to some extent a precursor of the market. And so, and, 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 and that, that that's a question I'm going to have to you in a second, because I, really, I want to get into that topic, but not just yet. You know, okay. one one question on 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 the climate. Okay, you know, I have to ask the uh, the double question. I guess you know, does this look like more of a bubble, or is this just a recovery that the real smart money has been sitting on the sidelines waiting for? Um, you you have to connect that to the overall economy, and are we on a bubble or not? That's a little bit of a broader question. I think most people feel. Um, there are some potential sector bubbles, possibly in uh, it, it, with some of the recent IPOs, but overall the economy is on a significant uptick. Um, con the consumers starting to recover. I think the consumers had quite a hangover here from uh, 2008, and uh, it's just really starting to uh, to that's just starting to recover. So um, every time we've had a crash. In real estate in my lifetime, which is, you know, 30 years professionally, we've had rebounds where the peaks have exceeded um, the prior peaks. And we're not, you know, we're, I don't think we're near any kind of peak at this point in time, at least for real estate. I don't think overall for the economy. Um, no, well, 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 let me, let me ask you this then, Jonathan. Well, well, let me ask you this, you know, because, I mean, do, do you think that the Boston market, in, in your opinion, is any indication of what's happening in other key markets like L.A., San Francisco, New York, you know, do you think that that's like a leading indicator? One of yeah. them, anyway? Um, I, well, I think, I think New York is going strongly. I think, um, I think they're, they're acting similarly currently. Uh, one that's a little bit of an outlier and I think has unique characteristics 
more so than others, uh, might be Miami, which you didn't mention, which has um, really gone crazy recently and have a lot of a disproportionate amount of foreign uh, investors, from what I understand. And, I didn't mention uh, Miami purposely because uh, then I didn't want to go, and I really can't go right now. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but I think that has more volatility. Uh, and I think that has more speculation. Clearly, has more speculation. Well, Miami has has like a ten year cycle typically. Right, it seems like that, and it seems yeah. again more volatility, more ups, more down, more speculation. Boston um, has more people. Uh, it really moves for more fundamental reasons. There. Those that are foreign, of which there's a decent segment that make Boston a second home, are doing so. Um, a lot of them for the academic uh, dimensions. Again, I mentioned the Chinese and others um, mm-hmm. that are purchasing property in Boston, seeing their children, whether it's in uh, <clears throat> going to, to high school in the greater Boston area or ultimately going to college. Um, and many people from afar, they hear the names Harvard and MIT, uh, and and those stand out for a long period of time. But, of course, there's 20, 30 schools, colleges alone within a very close radius of Boston. I think it has the most number of students per per mile uh, of, of any community in, in Well, let, let me let me jump on the end of, on the tail end of that. You know, with with that said, are you seeing a lot more foreign, a lot more foreign funds rolling into the real estate market in Boston? Than let's say two or three years ago. Yes. Okay. So that that that's what it seems like uh, it, it is uh, in some of the key markets. You know, uh, Miami. I I don't I I don't I don't put it into the same uh, category as Boston, L.A., San Francisco, New York because of the uh, the volatility over there. I mean, the, those swings are like wicked. Now, I'm using I'm using a New right. England term, wicked. <laughs> yes, no, you are. You're very good at that. You got to work on the accent. <laughs> you're very close. Um, yeah. You, I think the answer is yes. First of all, there's been an easing of uh, immigration visas to where foreigners can basically purchase visas by investing in businesses that generate jobs. Chinese, Russians, and others have been gravitating towards uh, towards those opportunities to bring over their families, um, specifically also Chinese, uh, and others are looking to invest in the U.S. as safe havens for part of their wealth and portions of their assets. So when you combine that overall strategy of diversifying your asset base for security uh, and then fulfilling basically life and family goals, which is basically children and education, Boston pops up high, and I say disproportionately high for the size of uh, of the city, you know, being essentially eighth or so in, in terms of the metropolitan area in the United States. Now, let, let me. I'm going to get back to what you started to speak about earlier about the new developments happening in Boston. Are you seeing a lot of that happening now? There's a lot of development. The, the the type of development I was alluding to is where I see builders buying um, spec buying property and building spec houses, and that was basically stifled until twelve about eight twelve to eighteen months ago. And when it was done, it was very ginger, um, and basically they couldn't get financing, nor did they have the 
uh, courage and confidence to invest forward out 12 to 18 months in what would ultimately be a four or five million plus dollar spec house. Um, mm-hmm. Now we we started to see last year we started to see properties. I'll take Brookline, a one-acre property that's a teardown in Brookline, go for two, two to two and a half million dollars uh, with a five odd million dollar spec house emerging. We've seen multiple of those. Um, I'm now looking at a report of sales in Boston over the last uh, three months, and I see that uh, a property sold at 21 Chestnut Street on Beacon Hill, which is right next to the State House, an old classic five-story Bowfront townhouse. I had sold in three days at 5.2 million. It came on the market at 5.5 million. Clearly, that was bought by a builder intending to go in and either condominiumize that, turn that into a two, three-family residence, and or uh, renovate it and sell it, you know, as a single-family home. Um, mm-hmm. Again, didn't stay on the market very long. Investing five million, he's going to have to renovate it, put more money into it. Mm-hmm. He's expecting 10-something million dollars in sales to come out of that 12, 18 months from now. Again, that's showing the kind of, I think, uh, energy and dimension to the market. And you, we started to see signs of that. That's what I'm getting to. We started to see signs of that 12 and 18 months ago. And if you were talking to well-known brokers in the community, they would tell you those stories. And if you hopped on the bandwagon, so to speak, at that time and took advantage of those signs, uh, you'd be in a stronger position. You would have gotten in at lower prices. Well, let, let me ask you this. You know, obviously the demand is there. So, you know, when, when the spec houses are going that quickly, uh, it's always, always a good sign because the money's flowing in. Now, you're a Wall Street guy, a former Wall Street guy, like, like myself. And do you feel that with uh, private equity, uh, you know, getting involved and hedge funds getting involved and, and you know, they're, they're, they're buying up uh, these REO deals, they're buying property, they're actually uh, going and, and throwing the money in and, and funding some of these projects. Do you think that's helping with, uh, with what's going on with uh, the builders actually building more now? I'm not really seeing that dimension as much, but there's a flip side to that. Um, there, the, there's a tremendous amount of money management in Boston. It's, it's probably outside of New York, I think, the money management capital of the U.S. Uh, there's a lot of hedge funds. There are a lot of buyout funds. There are a lot of venture capital firms. All of those firms have done extremely well uh, over the last couple of years, paid out big bonuses, and their partners have obviously grown in wealth. A younger tier has come in and started to make more money. Uh, those are some of the key drivers of the luxury market, uh, certainly here in uh, both in, in the back bay, you can know, waterfront Boston, the classic areas, as well as the suburban communities I referred to from uh, Brookline, yeah. Newton, Wellesley, but even North Shore, South Shore. Uh, that's That's a lot of the source of New wealth that's purchasing two, five, ten million dollar estates uh, in and around the greater Boston area. Uh, you know, the other side of that is a lot of those guys are investing in in venture capital businesses. I'm sure you have a similar effect in Silicon Valley. Uh, so you have a lot of entrepreneurs who are uh, making a lot of money and raising a lot of money, and uh, so they also become buyers and drivers of uh, high end. Real estate purchases. Um, when you have Mark Zuckerberg, uh, you know, <laughs> buying property to rent it out, 
uh, that's telling you a little bit about where that where that tech money's going. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting time we're in. There's no there's no doubt about it. And that this this elite uh, clientele, the sophisticated clientele, you know, just for our listeners, uh, just so you understand, they're not going to go to um, you know just your regular broker. They want someone that's experienced. They want someone that has the knowledge, has has their 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 fingers on the pulse of what's going on in, in within the market. Because they need that. That's what they pay you. That's what you, that's what you get the big bucks for, right, Jonathan? Well, as, as I said, it's all correlated. So I think they want someone they can relate to. And in general, mm-hmm. that's someone that's, you know, that's sophisticated in more than just the real estate market, uh, that understands what they're doing overall and um, will be an ally and an asset to them as they get into negotiations and as they go through uh, a transaction. But you know, again, it's, it's someone that they're comfortable with, um, someone that they're confident in, someone with good experience. And uh, you know, Boston, Boston is is you know, a a major world class city and uh, a very livable city. Uh, I think you saw interesting on the high end side. Uh, you know, Tom Brady and Giselle have recently sold their thirty plus million dollar Brentwood mansion uh and committed themselves to uh you know very substantial property here in Brooklyn. I showed I showed them some properties. They were very picky. They ended up with a great uh, a great piece of land minutes from Boston and uh, are going to make this their primary residence for the foreseeable future. I I guess he's gonna be I guess he's gonna be with them for a little bit. <laughs> He'll be with the well, Patriots I mean, just a little bit longer. <laughs> Well, as, as Boston fans, we hope you'll be here for a while. But yeah. I think it's interesting that they basically, I think, through selling Brentwood and the scale of what they're building here, are committing themselves you know, prospectively beyond their football years. And I think that's because they see this as a, a very attractive environment to bring up the family. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned everything about the other components that you bring to the table, that uh, seasoned veteran brings to the table. It's not just showing a house. Anyone can show a house, show anything. I mean, you go to a car show, you have the girl showing the cars. That doesn't mean that you know everything about it. You know, it doesn't mean that you can actually relate and, and connect with uh, with the potential, uh, you know, client or, or your client. You know, and I think that's what makes the difference between having someone that's really successful in the real estate industry and someone that is again just showing property, so you have to be well rounded. And I hope that any any real estate uh, you know pros out there that are listening to this, or even that are just getting into the game, that are listening to this, you know, learn from someone like Jonathan Slater. Learn about you know how they do business because it'll help you. Now, Jonathan, finally, would you please let our listeners know how to find out more about you and uh, your, your luxury sure. team? Uh- uh, well, we have a website, www.castlesluxury.com. You know, that's a good place to start to find luxury properties here and around the world. Uh, okay. There's they can they can email or call me directly. I'm Jay Slater, S L A T E R at, at Castles Luxury, and uh, I think my you'll probably display my phone number. Have a link to that at six one seven. Two one six four thousand. Okay, great. You know, I, I want to 
I want to, you know, let our listeners know that, look, any of our listeners that are looking to buy in the Boston area, you know, they are looking for guidance in the trenches of the luxury real estate market. If you play for the Patriots, if you're going to go play for the Patriots, you need to move in the area. Just reach out to Jonathan Slater. He knows what he's talking about. He is the broker with the Midas touch in the Boston area. There's no doubt about it. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, we're going to have to bring you on again to get further insight uh, down the road. Well, Louie, I appreciate that and look forward to future updates. Now let's take a little news break and we'll be right back. Well, I think what we should do uh, is to provide uh, the equipment and the technical assistance uh, that uh, the Iraqis have been asking for. I don't know enough of the details about, uh, about the airstrikes to, to comment whether we should or we shouldn't. Uh, but it's not like we haven't seen this problem coming for over a year. And it hasn't, it, it's not like we haven't seen over the last five or six months uh, these terrorists moving in, taking control of western Iraq, uh, now they've taken control of Mosul. They're 100 miles from Baghdad. And what's the president doing? Taking a nap. And people think that uh, one more act of violence is going to end violence, but it's like a flywheel. One, one act of violence provokes another act of violence, and here we are. I think this represents the failed policy that took us down this path 11 years ago. Most of us are here because of policy and what we want to do. We have some understanding of politics, and we all know that you keep your home fires burning. And um, the people are the boss. They speak. That's that's really what counts. Uh, but um, I I have as much sympathy for Mr. Cantor as he would want me to have for him. Uh, Eric Cantor has been a true friend, and I'm a thank him and thank his staff for their service to our conference uh, and uh, thank them for their service to our country as well. I'm not going to analyze what happened in this election. They're all different. So I'm sure at some point people are going to handle around what really happened. New mom Kerry Washington stepped back into the spotlight to accept an award from Women in Film. The Scandal star and fellow honorees Kate Blanchett, Eva Longoria, Rose Byrne and Frozen writer-director Jennifer Lee were honoured by the non-profit group in Los Angeles. Both Washington and Blanchett said women must be willing to take risks and reveal imperfections to tell authentic stories about their experiences. Angelina Jolie was joined by partner Brad Pitt at the Global Summit to End Sexual Violence in Conflict. Jolie is on a campaign with British Foreign Secretary William Hague seeking international support for a new plan to end impunity for sexual crimes committed in war zones. Placido Domingo is to sing before a World Cup final for the sixth time. It's been announced that the Spanish singer will perform at Rio de Janeiro's HSBC Arena on July 11th. The 73-year-old has attended every World Cup final since 1970, with the exception of 1978 in Argentina. All right, we 
received uh, some interesting insight from Jonathan Slater. And look, if you're buying luxury property in Boston, in New England, he is your go-to guy. He's the guy you want to reach out to. He gave you his, uh, his contact information. You know, definitely reach out to him. And I want to remind all of our listeners to follow me on Twitter, on Megahoot, and on Facebook. I'm not hard to find. And, oh, oh, wait a second, also on Instagram. <laughs> How can I forget picture time? Uh, anyway, we will continue to bring on guests that will give us uh, a slightly different view of their markets, their industries, you know, just so that we can make, uh, you know, certain topics a little more interesting with, um, you know, with the show. And if you have any guest requests, please email us and let us know uh, at info at ucwmagazine.com. And just let us know. And if you are one of um, one of the uh, the people that make things tick in your industry, feel free to reach out to us. And we will be back with you next week. Until then, keep breaking barriers and raising the bar because it's well worth it. You're listening to UCW Radio and your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh. Have I got your attention now? Relax, You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, but... Uh, You're great, but don't run when you lose. Don't whine that thing. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass, 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 brass. I'm falling, and I can't get up